Welcome to MDSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Lowe. Public health professionals have been under siege since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. That means other services they provide have been diminished to bolster the fight against COVID. Dr. Kaylor Stone, an assistant professor of health and human performance, is co-author of a study examining how public health workers have been diverted from their regular areas of expertise to handle the COVID overload. We'll examine this trend after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. After 27 years on the job, a fixture of the MTSU community has been honored for his service. Officials with Intercultural and Diversity Affairs and the Office of Institutional Equity and Compliance presented Dwight Johnson, proprietor of Dwight's Mini Mart inside Keithley University Center, with a commemorative plaque at an October 25th ceremony concurrent with National Disability Employment Awareness Month. Johnson, who has been blind since a car accident at the age of 12, has experienced numerous technological changes that have helped him perform his job, including a talking cash register and a bill identifier. Lance Alexis, MTSU's Director of Americans with Disabilities Act Compliance, said that employing the disabled helps counter the false narrative that they receive benefits from the government without contributing to their fellow citizens' welfare. And Heather Brown, the longtime professor and former director of the MTSU School of Concrete and Construction Management, was recognized by her peers and industry leaders at a special event October 26th at the Embassy Suites Hotel in Murfreesboro. Brown, who was the face of the MTSU program for 20 years before leaving this year to become vice president of quality control and quality assurance with Indianapolis-based Irving Materials Incorporated, received the Champion Award from the Concrete Industry Management National Steering Committee during the 25th anniversary of the organization. The former MTSU leader, who is a member of the Tennessee Concrete Association Lifetime Hall of Fame, also received an award from the MTSU Concrete Industry Management Patrons, a group of concrete professionals serving the university program and students through financial, marketing, and mentoring assistance in a nonprofit capacity. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Taylor, thank you for joining us. We appreciate you taking time to talk with us. Oh, happy to do this. What kind of healthcare workers are we talking about? All different kinds of disciplines? Public health workers is a very broad group of people that work to improve the health of a population, right? So, so when we're talking about here, the different workers that we kind of surveyed and, and we're, we're looking at, a lot of them were coming from local, state, and federal health departments that work in an array of different things. So epidemiologists, those that are you know, doing surveillance or tracking disease outbreaks, public health nurses that are running those immunization clinics that are doing tuberculosis, you know, investigations and, and tracking and, and administering those meds. Environmental health specialists, those that keep our food safe, help make sure that the food's safe at the restaurants that we go to. They're the ones that are checking cold chains and all these things, making sure that the pools are clean. All of this is public health, that workforce. So that is what this uh, this study that uh, colleagues of mine uh, we started working on as a mid pandemic we realized that there were quite a bit public health typical duties and typical services that public health carries out a lot of them were being 
diverted to the pandemic response. We wanted to document this as best as we could because it wasn't being documented and we wanted to see really uh, how, how bad this potentially could be. How many people were surveyed? Close to 300 public health uh, workers uh, across the country where we solicited their enrollment into this uh, study. We had a couple of things kind of going against us here. One, it's not defined well. The public health workforce is so broad and complex, and, and so there's it's really hard to define it. And so what we did was we put out this survey to different professional organizations that have a lot of public health workers and people that work you know, on public health issues. Uh, so the American Public Health Association, we put it out to their listservs um, and to some active social media groups that have a lot of so, uh, public health workers. And so we, we put it out to, to them and we had from August, uh, the end of August through the middle of October is the data for this study. We interviewed or surveyed and interviewed uh, 300 public health workers from all uh from uh, not every single state, I, I don't remember the exact number, but I want to say it was like 40, 42 states were represented in this survey. Which areas of public health have suffered the most or subcategories or subgenres of public health have suffered the most? Yeah, the overall mission, right, of public health is to increase the health and well-being of, of everybody. And then when we think about the essential public health services, and so this has been really thought out and this has been planned and it was just updated. You can find this on the CDC website. The, the essential Of the essential public health services, there are a number of them that range on different things from infectious diseases, control and communication to maternal child health. Uh, issues to environmental health, uh, disaster preparedness, emergency response, mental health, occupational health. And so there's all these things, right? When we talk about this pandemic and we saw all of this juggling of roles and function, the elephant in the room that came barging in, right, that everybody had to turn to, um, there were there were more groups that or more functions in public health and these services that were getting dropped or they were having massive decreases in their functionality and uh, time and effort going toward this. And some of those were uh, a lot of the chronic disease prevention. We have a lot of chronic disease issues in this country, and there's a lot of effort that goes into trying to mitigate those, prevent that, um, and control that. A lot of those were, were pulled down. So they were. we estimated that if we had 21% of the workforce that was working on that, of the public health workforce, that had dropped down to 13%. So we we lost you know, close to half of those that were working on that for this amount of time that it shifted over to COVID duties. But we saw decreases in, in a number of uh, almost every function and category of public health services. Uh, we saw decreases except for those in in you know disease surveillance and some of the things that you would already you know think would already be you know working on COVID nineteen um, response those things kind of stayed the same. But even inside of those elements, so infectious disease control, you still saw, and we have qualitative data from from interviews that say even inside of that infectious disease control. A lot of the infectious diseases that they normally, you know, investigate and control, so like foodborne illnesses, uh, reporting and investigating and outbreaks, 
a lot of those were even dropped. They, they weren't even able to focus on those because of the COVID-19 burden. We'll take a break here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The mission of the June Anderson Center for Women and Non-Traditional Students is to provide education, advocacy, direct services, outreach, and programming for the MTSU campus and surrounding community on gender-related issues. The center also assists older students who are trying to balance work, college, and family. It also sponsors a monthly legal clinic, career brown bag series, book club, and a newsletter twice a year. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. MTSU's Jewish and Holocaust Studies minor offers undergraduate students a chance to study the culture and religion of the Jewish people and the Holocaust in an interdisciplinary program. Studies include history and culture, theology and philosophy, and the arts and social sciences. Courses tackle vital topics central to local and global awareness, including multiculturalism and the meanings of diversity, religious tolerance, and genocide. For the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Dr. Kaylor Stone is our guest. He's an assistant professor of health and human performance and co-author of a study showing that public health professionals have been shifted from their regular duties to help with the response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And that has left some responsibilities going wanting, so to speak. What kind of people were shifted? Were they the veterans, the rookies, or a mixture of both? In our survey sample, right, we had folks that majority of our folks were in this study were they had experience from about one year up to nine years of experience. So we had kind of a smattering of of some those that were in their early career, so a few years of experience um, to you know the, that mid career where they're getting up to around you know ten years, and then we had um, you know a handful. I think 20, 30 percent were over fifteen years of experience. And when we looked across, you know, who was shifting duties, it wasn't length of stay per se that were indicators of who was shifting. It was what the function already was, what, what, what your job was. Were you getting called to the front line to respond to these pandemics? And so um, I think a lot of health departments, uh, and this was from our interviews side, the qualitative side of this, this study, a lot of health departments, local health departments, state health departments, you know, they were constantly assessing what the priorities were and what, fun, you know, who needed to stay back to function certain programs. And then the rest were getting pulled to, to COVID-19 response, whether it was a full-time shift or if they were just adding that duty on. Um, we estimated from our sample that a, a 30% had COVID-19 or other duties assigned on top of their current duties. So that added to the extra work hours and the extra days that this public health workforce had, had uh, the burden of this response. Uh, you had 60% that said that they uh, didn't have any additional duties, um, but inside of that 60% that said they didn't have additional duties that were brought on, there was a massive basically, you know, uh, just turning everything upside down and, and they were changing all of the duties that they did. And so we had seasoned uh, veteran public health uh, uh, workers, especially in administ uh, especially in leadership roles, 
all of their attention shifted to this COVID-19 response, all the way down to uh, those that were in their, their young career shifting around from different program areas. In this workforce, there was, a, there was you know, in our, in our estimate, there was, you know, 5% uh, of the workforce that we surveyed were brought on to specifically work on COVID-19 massive resources and, and energy from, from across the health departments and across the spectrum went to work on COVID-19. The staffing in infectious disease and preparedness remained constant. And if managers thought it was important to shift people and resources to COVID, COVID certainly is an infectious disease. Why did the staffing in this critical area remain constant? Typically, in epidemiology and in, and in public health services, when you think about a health department, you know, a couple of things usually come to mind. You think about keeping your restaurants safe, and then you're thinking about diseases and shots, right? And those are the kind of the, the things that a lot of people think of when they think about their health department as the kind of the regulator side. So the staffing has is usually heavily bent towards this environmental health, you know, staffing. And, and in the epi world, uh, more resources are typically on that infectious disease side. So what you had here, we characterized COVID-19 as, as, as a subset inside of that infectious disease uh, category. So you had basically everybody that was in infectious disease, which includes all of your sexually transmitted infections, which is a massive group and a massive undertaking. So think HIV, all of your STIs, that whole group, that, that's also in, the, in this infectious disease a lot of them were pulled from their infectious disease work to COVID-19. That might look like it stayed constant, but the structure and the makeup of that infectious disease workforce, a lot of it shifted to COVID-19. So you have all the other infectious disease work that was, was being dropped for different periods of time or lagging behind, or it became second priority. And so you had investigations, uh, you know, disease investigations, you know, either sitting and waiting um, because they were basically adding time to that interval of investigation to outbreaks and to reporting and, and really affecting the completeness of all the reporting and all the things that happen on a daily basis, they were all shifted to COVID-19. How much of this is due to the shifting of people to fighting COVID and how much is it due to the fact that a lot of public health facilities are underfunded and understaffed <laughs> to begin with, just to deal with what they expect to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, let alone something as extraordinary as the pandemic. I'm so glad you brought that up because that is a drum that we have been beating um, the, the research team that I'm on and, and, and public health <laughs> across the country, uh, across the world, uh, has been beating this idea that um, public health funding, it goes in these cycles and where um, we see funding increases after a disaster, or after an event or after something that really catches the eye. Because public health is so intrinsically tied to uh, the government and, and law and policy and all these, these components, because it's so tied to that, you see funding cycles change um, with it, you know, prioritization of funds and all of these um, different elements. And so when we have a disaster, 
everybody's aware, we see what the problem is, and we put resources to it. So since the pandemic, we've seen increase, increases to public health funding. But before the pandemic, and this is what you're bringing up, public health was systematically across the board, top to bottom, uh, from the federal level to the state's levels to the local levels, was underfunded and then had been underfunded, been on a decline for the last 10, uh, 15 years. We will see this spike in funding and then we hope every time and we try to educate and, and, and all of these efforts that go into, we don't want to be underfunded because then we're already low resourced and we're going to run into the same problem if we cut funding again. The public health workforce was estimated before the pandemic to be anywhere between 20, 30% underfunded. So they're already running thin. They're already trying to provide all of these essential services, scraping by. Obviously, there's regionality to how that public health is funded across the country and, and each you know, county, jurisdiction, city has, has a different kind of look on this. But across the board, it's underfunded. Everybody's scraping by, doing the best they can. And then you have this pandemic hit where we've had slash after slash each year, and then you're less prepared. You're less prepared, and then you, you shift all of your work towards the little that you had, right? The little that you had going, you shift it to this massive response. And so you have a lot of things that are going to get dropped because there's only so much that you can do. And so... We say, and I think this is something that we talk about a lot in public health, is when public health is doing its job, it doesn't make the spotlight, right? We are preventing illness. We are doing our job, controlling disease. Things are good, which is why I think it gets uh, cut. Uh, it, it's not a priority on funding because it's, it's not you know, it's not in front of us as this big problem, because there's a lot of problems out there that we need to fund, right? But when public health is doing its job, um, it's it's quiet in the background. Um, and so it's important that we, we try to keep that perspective. Obviously, you know, this pandemic kind of highlights that. But these are the people who you expect to help you when there is a force of nature at any point around the world, the typhoon, the tsunami, the tornado, the hurricane. And if you have to help people immediately because of that, that in and of itself is going to put more of a burden on the ability to respond to that emergency and to respond to the pandemic at the same time. Lights are out, machines in hospitals and in shelters need uh, electricity to function. And then you have the issue of people in a shelter packed in like sardines because they don't have any place else to go, which is a possible super spreader event for COVID. I mean, it's just one nightmare on top of another. Yeah, we saw we saw that right in 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 2020. Uh, and in 2021, although a lot of the 2021 disasters, um, hurricane storms were better prepared because they had already uh, experienced a lot of these issues of compounding disasters in 2020, where we had the pandemic, but then plus, you know, hurricane season doesn't go away. And so, you, you know, we, we did a study uh, prior to prior to COVID-19 uh, in, in North Carolina after Hurricane Florence and Dorian, I believe. And, and we, 
we surveyed local health departments across the state, asking them, you know, when a natural disaster hits, and, and these, in this case, these two hurricanes, how does the staffing change and, and the burden of these natural events and these disasters that build up time to the hurricane, to the actual, you know, response during the hurricane, and then to the recovery efforts after the hurricane, what does that do to the different essential, you know, public health services after health departments and, and things like that? And we found that 30, 20% in some uh, settings and certain functions, the 30% in some functions at these health departments were totally interrupted. And there, those services drop off when these, when these, you know, natural disasters come. And that's for a natural disaster that you can somewhat plan for, right? Where you know it's hurricane season, health departments are kind of geared up toward that. Um, you can even know from the weather, right? You have some days in advance. I mean, even then, uh, because of the short staffing, because of the difficulty, you, you shift everything to that. And so then in, on top of that, in 2020, when you have a pandemic, everybody's stretched working on those things. You know, uh, when those, those natural disasters struck, you had just so many additional layers of burden put on this workforce and, and the populations that they're hitting, right? Uh, you know, we're just talking about the staff and the workforce here, the people that that this workforce is serving are paying the highest cost. Um, and so we can't forget them and, and, and these vulnerable groups that are paying the brunt of, of a lot of these staffing and funding shortfalls. Yeah. We'll take another break here. We'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Experiential Learning Scholars Program at MTSU gives students a chance to go outside the classroom and obtain hands-on experience in their chosen fields of study. They'll have the opportunity to give something back to the community through service learning as they gain acceptance for graduate study. Students should be able to select EXL-designated courses from major requirements and general studies requirements to complete the 16 to 18 hours of EXL coursework. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center helps to promote awareness and understanding of the wide variety of cultures represented at MTSU. The center provides information, referrals, and resources. Additionally, IDAC tries to make students from different cultures feel welcome and comfortable on campus so they can have every opportunity to fulfill their academic, social, and personal potential. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about a study co-authored by Dr. Kaylor Stone, who is an assistant professor of health and human performance, uh, finding out the impact on public health professionals of shifts in their duties due to the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, the reprioritization of that issue, perhaps to the expense of other issues that public health professionals deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. There have been myriad stories about the impact that the pandemic has taken on all kinds of healthcare professionals, their mental health, their stress levels, uh, their families, burnout, people saying, all right, I can't take it anymore. I quit. Are we seeing this in the public health arena? We looked at the mental health and how that might be affecting not just burnout, but career trajectories. So like what you're mentioning. And so we actually have another paper out that looks at how this mental 
health burden and the sheer burnout. We estimated that 66%, 67% of the workforce was, you know, showed clinical signs of burnout based on our, our sample of, of about 300. That's a lot. And, and, and burnout significantly affects everything in your life. It's not just your work, right? It's, this is the health of the person. This is the health of their families. There's so many things that, that it affects. And then that also pour into burnout and anxiety and depression, uh, PTSD. We looked at a lot of these things, but when it came to somebody that you know, is, is in public health. And by the way, if you're working in public health, you're not doing it for the money. Those that work in public health know that's a joke. You know, you're doing it to serve and better the world around you. This is a group of people that have, you know, more, more often than not the purest intentions, right. To, to help. So you have these folks in this career, they're doing this work. They're already stretched thin. And then you get this pandemic and there's a lot of camaraderie, a lot of camaraderie came out and kind of teamwork and coming together. But still, there was significant burnout and mental health burden. And that, along with the, the bullying and the threats and the political threats and the politicization of a lot of, of what public health does in, in, in the negative lights, you know, has, has really affected and, and played a role in, in how this workforce has dealt with this. And so from our survey, we showed a shift of folks that were saying that now 20 to 30% of the workforce was, was starting to say now, you know what, I don't know, I think I'm, I'm, think I'm getting out. And, you know, maybe not right now. We had some, we had a, a percentage of those that were like, well, I'm leaving as soon as I can. We had some that were saying, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to stick through this pandemic and then I'm out. And then we had a lot of shifted from, so pre-pandemic. So we asked folks pre-pandemic. So, Hey, what were your plans in public health in January of 2020 versus now? And that was in the middle of 2020. So mid pandemic, right? You're in the second wave, depending on where you were regionally kind of before the third wave, we said, you know, the biggest, the starkest two options were if they said they were undecided, they're like, oh, I don't know. I was undecided. And then those shifting to, oh, no, I'm, I'm definitely leaving. It jumped. It jumped from 8% to 20%. And then those that were confident that they were going to be staying three years or more, that, that was a, a close to 85% in January. That dropped down to 60%. So we have these major shifts in the workforce that was already underfunded. And it's a heavily weighted workforce to those that are close to retirement. So we we really have a, a workforce um, supply and demand issue that could be that's currently here and that could get worse. The article title is The Impact of the COVID-19 Response on the Provision of Other Public Health Services in the U.S., a Cross-Sectional Study. And what is the name of the academic journal in which it was published? PLOS One, and it's, it should be an open access uh, journal, so anybody should be able to access that. Obviously, they you could always just, uh, you could email me or contact me, and I'm happy to share it as well, but you should have free access to that since an open access journal. Kaylor, thanks for being our guest. No problem. Thank you for having me. We'll be right back. The American Democracy Project is a nonprofit initiative which strives for greater voter registration and civic participation among young people at MTSU and at campuses nationwide. Through encouragement from professors and peers, young adults are shown the value of being more active citizens in their community, their state, and their nation. 
ADP seeks to nurture programs that raise the campus community's level of engagement with society. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Jimmy Hart has the middle moment. Dr. Amy Harris, an information and analytics professor in MTSU's Data Science Institute, partnered with the professional advocacy organization Advancing Women in Nashville, or AWIN, on a study looking at gender representation in managerial ranks. The report found that more work is needed to increase the representation of women in management by identifying the barriers to advancement. Women and men are hired into the workforce at roughly the, you know, roughly 50-50. And we see that in our own data. The workforce as a whole is roughly 50-50. It's just that I think a lot of it goes back to childcare. And then you're looking to climb the corporate ladder. And I, I feel this personally. It's like it doesn't matter how ambitious you are if there are only so many hours in the day. We are at a point where as a society, we have to make a shift. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.